Welcome everyone this morning. It's certainly uh, an honor to be up here and uh, be able to give you the Word of God today. It wasn't worship sweet. I'm so grateful for Luke and the worship team as they, um, boy, I tell you what, if, uh, uh, if this isn't close to what heaven's going to be like, it's worshiping. If you're not into worship today, we better get into worship because that's what, uh, that's what the rest of eternity is going to be for us. Well, today I'm going to be in John chapter 12 as that uh, we continue with uh, the scripture that has been preached to us the last uh, several weeks, if not months. Last week, Pastor Casey talked about the 11th chapter in the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. We were introduced to Mary and Martha and, of course, Lazarus. And I'm not going to be quite as ambitious as Pastor Casey. Casey he went through the whole 11th chapter. I, I don't think I'm going to get that far today. We'll be doing the first 11 verses. And as I was preparing, uh, I couldn't help uh, but think about how times are changing, much like the times were changing in those days with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. As Jesus began uh, going throughout the community, presenting his message, uh, the Pharisees were growing more and more agitated, and uh, the, the times were changing. Uh, the Jewish people basically had their run of, of, the, uh, uh, of Jerusalem and, and all of Israel at the time. The Romans sat back basically and let them do their thing, but as Jesus presented his message, it became more and more difficult, especially for those that were following after Christ himself. And times here in the United States of America and, of course, across the globe are changing. I remember when I grew up, even though uh, not everyone went to church, certainly everyone accepted uh, the Christian values that our country was founded on. Uh, the laws were based on them, and even though there were many that uh, abstained from uh, church going, uh, we basically assumed that these were the laws of the lands and the traditions of our country. And of course, as uh, we have gone on, and especially in the last 20 years, um, and it's accelerating rapidly, I might add, times are changing, if you haven't noticed. Now, we may not feel it as much in Naples and in, on Marco Island here, we're a little bit insulated. But there are pockets all over the country where it's becoming increasingly difficult to uh, practice in your, our worshiping Christ Jesus in different arenas, especially in the public arena. There are churches that are being denied access to public buildings because they're Christian. Um, we're seeing uh, Christian businesses uh, uh, being discriminated because they are not adhering to the new morality that is uh, springing up across the land and even fined uh, th uh, thousands and thousands of dollars um, for not catering to, um, to things that uh, we feel are ungodly. So times indeed are changing, and even though you may not feel it directly in your life, there may be a time in not so distant of the future that we're going to begin to feel it ourselves, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in school, uh, wherever we travel. Uh, the Christian message is not accepted uh, openly and uh, like it used to be. Uh, there's a new morality springing up, if you will, and it's a morality that is made by man. Well, today we're going to look at John chapter 12, the first 11 verses, as I mentioned, and it's going to focus a little bit different than the focus of last week as we saw Jesus being risen from the dead. Uh, I'm Jesus, Lazarus being risen from the dead, sorry about that by Jesus, and uh, the focus was on uh, how that parallels the new birth and how um, we have been raised spiritually. We're going to look at, from a Christian perspective, 
the life of Mary of Bethany today, we don't see a lot of her in the scripture. She only shows up about three different times. But from those three times, and especially in the passage that we read today, we can learn much from her and from the example that we uh, read in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the 12th chapter of John, and we're going to begin at the first verse. I'm going to have some supporting Scriptures as well, and they'll appear up on the screen, but I believe for this, our, our foundation Scripture, that we can turn there in our Bibles, or you can just listen to me if you like. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now we can find this same account in Matthew chapter 26 and also in Mark chapter 14, and that Mark uh, chapter we're going to reference later on. But as I said, as we come into a new age, as Mary was coming into a new age, as they were actually looking to uh, kill her brother Lazarus, and pressure was beginning to mount against those who followed after Jesus, we too may run into that pressure. And even if we don't in the near future, as Christians, as believers or disciples of Jesus Christ, if you will. Who knows what a disciple? What's a disciple? Anybody know? What's a disciple of Christ? There it is, a follower, right? We follow him. And dictionary.com tells us that a disciple is a person who is a pupil or adherent of the doctrines of another. And certainly as a believer, um, we adhere to the doctrines of Christ and we um, also uh, follow him and his example and what he has laid before us, uh, we will um, ponder what it is to get strong in the Lord, and we'll ponder how we can stand firm in the face of opposition or, in, in, in another case, maybe the trials that come our way. There are some of you right now that are going through trials, storms in life, so to speak, uh, some of them mild, some of them quite severe, and if you haven't gone through them, you're going to go through them, as Jesus promises. In this world, you will have trouble, trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we're going to have trouble. And how do we face trouble? How do we face adversity? How do we stand? Well, here, beginning with this example found in John, we're going to investigate the two other times and this occurrence that Mary shows up. And we're going to look at what uh, she did and the lessons that she learned through life uh, in order to get us to a place of maturity and a place where we can stand firm should we be challenged in our faith. 
You know, one day we might be, and it may cost us plenty. And do I have the strength to stand? Do I have the strength to stand firm in love and be ready to give up or to, be, uh, or to face the consequences that may be coming? Well, I believe that we'll find some of the answers, and particularly one of the most important answers right here in these examples. As I said, Mary is found in Luke chapter 10, which we're going to address in just a second. It's also found in John 11, which we addressed last week, although we didn't look at particularly at her life. We looked at Lazarus and Jesus. And then, of course, she's found here in Matthew, or rather John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So we're going to see how she exemplifies some important characteristics. It's not often that we examine uh, ladies of the Scripture, but there were plenty, and there were plenty of uh, wonderful examples of, of disciples, and we're going to look at one of them today. Turning to Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38, another reference to where Mary is found. Uh, the Scripture should appear, I believe, on the screens, and it says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. My first point, and I believe the most important point, this is actually the most important point that we can understand and put into practice as a believer. It's very basic, but I think it's important that we get back to basics in this day and age to keep us on a firm foundation. And that first point is a disciple will find rest at Jesus' feet. Will find rest at Jesus' feet. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 9 through 11, shares with us, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. You see, when we look into this example of Mary once again, we see a picture of Martha going about uh, as a busybody, preparing the meal. Now you say somebody has to prepare the meal, and I'm sure that that's true. But Martha was about impressing Jesus or being a good hostess, if you will, and here was her sister sitting at Jesus' feet when all this work was going on around her. But Mary recognized that sitting at Jesus' feet at that moment, in that time, was the most important thing that she could do. In the church that I've met a lot of people, not, I'm not talking about our church in particular, but the church in general, Christians all over, when you ask them what it is to be a Christian, and many of them would tell you that Martha was being a good Christian and she was doing things and she was going about uh, pleasing the Lord and impressing and serving and all those other things. And there's nothing wrong with serving, certainly. We learn in Ephesians that it's by grace we've been saved through faith, uh, not by works. This is not of ourselves, but it is the gift of God. And then it goes on to say, for we are Christ's workmanship 
prepared in advance to do good works. So works are really important, but not from a perspective of trying to earn the favor of God or earn the favor of Christ. Rather, the most important thing that we can realize is our relationship with him. As believers, the most important thing we can do in our day is to do what Mary did, to sit in his presence. I know he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, but I mean where we go off by ourselves and take time to be alone with the Lord. We don't realize how vitally important this is in our life. Mary set aside all the distractions, all the busyness that was going around her to rest at the feet of Jesus, to commune with him, to listen to every word that he said. And it's so important that we do the same in our lives. You know, Jesus went off by himself over and over and over again to pray to his Father in heaven. In Matthew 4, it says, it is written uh, that, or rather, Jesus went out onto a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. He did that often. He spent the night in the presence of his Father in heaven. He spent the night seeking the Lord. I know sometimes in our busy lives, we have a hard time spending five or ten minutes with the Lord every day. If Jesus spent the night, if he felt it necessary, or he had, I should say, the desire to spend the entire night in uh, conversation and in extending his relationship with his Father in heaven, how much more do we need to do the same? And then, of course, not only... Is it important that we pray, that we spend time there? But it's also important that we read the Word of God, that we open up His Word. Mary had the Logos, or the living Word, right in front of her that day. We have His written Word. And it says in Matthew 4, 4, that Jesus answered, it is, not, uh, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It wasn't long ago that we talked about how important the Word of God is in our lives. It's vitally important. Listen to what Martin Luther says as he shares about the Word of God. He says, the soul can do without everything except the Word of God, without which none at all of its wants are provided for. You know, we oftentimes are busy trying to reconstruct our body through working out and through eating the proper foods. We nourish ourselves. We try to do what's good for our physical bodies. But what about the soul? What about the spirit man that lives inside of each of us? You know, as Casey said, that before conversion to Christ, that we were dead in our transgression and sins. We talked about that last week. Once the Lord comes and enables us, he makes our spirit alive. But that's not where it should end. The Lord wants us to nourish what has been made alive, just as we do our physical body. We nourish it by his word. Being in his presence is hearing his voice and speaking to him. It's called a relationship. In John chapter 3, that was talked about quite some time ago, but nevertheless we went over it, Uh, John chapter 3, it says, uh, where Jesus was praying before his Father in heaven, he said, now this is eternal life, that they know you and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Christianity is about a relationship. It's not about knowing about God. That's important. We need to know his attributes. Doctrine is very important. 
But we need to know him. My question is, do we know him? Do we know him intimately? It says that um, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. It's so important that we know our Savior. Do you know his voice today? Are you opening his word so that you can recognize his voice? There are a lot of imposters out there. There are a lot of voices that come into your head, isn't there? Temptations and other things that tell us things contrary to the word of God. Well, Mary knew it was good. She spent time in his presence, in a relationship with him, fixated on his word. Those were priority for her, and those ought to be a priority for us. For the believer sits at the feet of Jesus and rests in his presence and receives. Let's go a little bit further in the 10th chapter of Luke and focus on verse 42. It says, but only one thing is necessary, Jesus said to Mary, or rather Martha, and it says, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. That good part, Jesus said, will not be taken away from her. Now, it's just a subtle few words that's mentioned there. But we find, and this is the second point, that a disciple will know they are secure in Christ. If we're going to stand the storms of life, if we're going to stand against perhaps future persecution, if we're going to mature in the Lord, we have to put to rest our standing. We have to put to rest where we stand before the Lord. Remember, he is the one that bought us. He is the one that initiated our faith. He is the one that gave us the desire to seek him. And he's going to foster that desire, and he's going to see it to completion. I know many of you, many in the church today, as well as all of us, we struggle from time to time. Am I a good enough Christian? Maybe even some of you struggle. Am I really saved when we're struggling in our faith? The bottom line, it doesn't depend on you, and it doesn't depend on me, and we have to put it to rest once and for all that we are his or we're not. And if you're a believer and you know you're a believer, that settles it. You are in his hands, and no one can snatch you out of his hands. And if Mary didn't know it at that time, she found out, found out very quickly that the desire that God placed in her to seek him would not be taken from her, ever, until it was complete. And it's the same with you and I. As I started just a second ago, which we talked about um, a few weeks ago, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Do you know for certain today, first of all, that you have eternal life? If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, if you know that he is in there, that he has changed you, and you no longer are out for yourselves but to seek him, then you can know that you are his. Then you must know that you are his and that that can never change. And we need to settle it once and for all. And from that point on, we need to stop 
worrying about whether or not we can lose our salvation. Because if you are sitting in Christ today, wherever you're at, whatever time it is in your life, no one is going to take that salvation from you. You are not going to fall out of faith. We don't have to spend our time worrying about that. When the storms come our way, our focus should be on Him and Him alone and not all these other distractions that get in our way. So as I said, the second thing was that a disciple will know that they are secure in Christ. She found out very quickly that she was secure, that that desire which was placed in her would not be taken away. In Romans chapter 8, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's an inner understanding, there's an inner security and knowledge in our heart that we are his, and nothing's going to change change that. Are you secure and resting in that today? My prayer is that we all are. And then moving on to John chapter 11, Another instance where we see Mary, which was talked about last week, only we'll look at it from a different perspective today. It says, so Jesus said to them plainly that Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let let us now go to him. And then we jump down to the 32nd verse, and this is after Lazarus actually died, and Martha came out or came back to the house where Mary was saying that the Savior was calling him, or calling her, I should say. And, and he said, or, uh, uh, it was said here in the 32nd verse, Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And the third point I'd like to make is that a disciple will realize that the trials, the tribulation, the struggles that they are going uh, through are not for no reason, but are beneficial. The struggles and trials that we are going through are beneficial. James tells us in the first chapter, beginning at verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. How many here are really, really fired up when they get into a trial? Are really excited? Man, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm really enjoying this. Anybody? I know I haven't. I know we hate trials. We don't like them. We want to get out of them as soon as possible. But seriously, A true believer, even though we squirm and we fuss and we're not happy with being in in a trial as as Mary was in a trial, her brother just dying, it's really tough. It can be really a struggle. It can be a struggle to get out of bed in the morning when you're in a trial. Some of you are going through them, as I mentioned in the beginning, right now. And yet, what James is referring to in this is a deep-seated joy in our heart, knowing that we are the saviors, that we are in his hand, and he's going to walk us through, he's going to take us home, but it doesn't matter because he's with us, and he's never going to leave us, and he's never going to forsake us, and he's going to walk us through this trouble, and when we get out the other side, what's going to happen? I'm going to be strengthened. How do I know that? Well, right here in the example, 
Jesus said it. He said so himself. Pastor Casey talked about how Jesus delayed going to heal Lazarus for an extra couple of days just so that he would die so that the glory of God might be revealed in his resurrection through Christ. That's just amazing to me. Now, if you're in a trial, you might not see a resurrection from the dead. Uh, You might not see anything miraculous at all. But Peter tells us that through trials that our faith has to be tested. If you're sports fans, you might have a favorite team, whatever it is, baseball, football, whatever. Your team's going to training every year, and they train and they train and they train. And then, of course, the season begins and they play games. You would never hear of a team going through all the training, and then once they get to the season, they say, no, we've, we've had enough. That's good. We know we're good. We don't, uh, we, don't need to, we don't need to go any further. Well, that's obviously preposterous. But that's what's happening with trials, is that God is taking us through the game, if you will. He's taking, and it's not a game, but he's taking us through the times of testing so that our faith, as Peter says, might prove genuine. Here, the disciples, Mary, Martha, and even Lazarus himself went through a severe trial. And God, through his son Jesus Christ, was going to do something very, very important in their life so that they could believe he was going to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father in heaven by this act of mercy on Lazarus. But this is just one example. The outcomes don't always turn out the way it did here. Sometimes tragedies continue their full course. Sometimes trials are painful and we never lose the scars. But one thing is certain, and we all need to grasp it if we're going to get through the next trial or possibly persecution down the road, that trials and persecution benefit the believer. They're for our good. And God wants to establish deep within your heart that there's joy knowing that he is going to use those things. They're not of no value, but he's going to use them to strengthen your faith. I'm running out of time, so i got to move along. Jumping down to our scripture for today in John chapter 12, I'm going to go back and just revisit a few verses in the middle, the third through the eighth verse of John chapter 12. It says, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This uh, particular account is also uh, found in Mark chapter 14. I'm just going to read a little excerpt that adds a little bit to John's account. It says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. The fourth and last thing that I want us to look at today is that a disciple will do whatever they can. A disciple will do whatever they can. We talked about how works don't earn us anything. 
in the beginning of our talk today. We talked about how we need to rest in Christ as our foundation to, to receive our nourishment and to replenish our relationship. But as God strengthens us, we also know that he's given us great responsibility and what a privilege, privilege it is to serve him. And that's what we are to do. And here, Mary did something very, very special. She showed her humility. She fell once. She was at Jesus' feet once again. And she wiped her feet, or his feet rather, with her hair. But before she did that, she poured this costly perfume nard on him. And I was trying to figure out exactly what it was. I looked up the value of that. And in today's dollars, it could have equated to anywhere from fifteen dollars to $20,000, that jar of perfume. That's a lot of money just to pour on someone's head and let it run down to their feet. Well, that's a perfect example of really a spontaneous act of worship that Mary did. She did what she could. That's what the Scripture said. She has done what she could. It was there before her to anoint Jesus' feet, or rather anoint him and then wipe his feet. And how often does God put things before us to do whatever we can? We have been blessed with time and resources. And the question is, how am I using my time? Am I seeking the Lord? Am I spending time to get stronger in Him? And then when He puts something before me, am I responding? Charles Spurgeon tells us, do what the Lord bids you, where He bids you, as He bids you, as long as He bids you, and do it at once. I couldn't add very much to that. The Lord has called on you and I to do things in our lives, to glorify the name of the Lord, to glorify Him in all that we do. Maybe you're a person of means. We have a great opportunity today with the, uh, the money that's owed on this building. Maybe you can respond in an even greater way. I don't know, like Mary just poured out that jar of expensive perfume. I remember when we first came to Naples uh, almost 20 years ago, not quite 20 years ago now, we were visiting churches in the area. We stopped off at First Baptist one Sunday, and we were blessed with the testimony that was given. As Pastor Wicker there shared with us that they were still owing money on their property on Orange Blossom, that big, massive piece of property that they have there. And uh, they owed an extensive amount of money on it. And a couple walked into his office and asked him how much money uh, they owed on, on the property. He said, I have to look it up, and he looked it up, and it was give or take a million dollars. Time has kind of dulled the um, specifics of the uh, example. But it was about a million dollars, and this man proceeded to take out his checkbook and write a check and pay it off right there on the spot. I know maybe you've heard of similar instances. If you're a person of means, if God has blessed you, then we have opportunities to bless the Lord and give sacrificially. If he's given you talents, you don't have money, but he's given you something else. And he's laid something before you, and you've not responded to it. Today's the day. Respond to what he's given you. Disciples of Jesus Christ learn that we respond to what God places before us. Are we open to do the works of God? Are we seeking him to lay opportunities before us? 
That's what our life is all about, is being in a relationship with the master and then responding in our life wherever we are, whether it's in the office or in the schoolroom, whether it's at the beach, whether it's on the streets of Marco Island in your neighborhood, whether it's in a connect group, wherever it is, to glorify his name in all we do. That's what a disciple will do, but it takes strength. It takes God building us up, and that's where nurturing that relationship comes in. As Spurgeon told us, that if God lays something before us, do it at once. And I close kind of wrapping things up here, reminding us that everything starts with rest and seeking. Everything starts at the feet of Jesus, spending time with him, earnestly spending time with him. I know people that spend hours a day with him, and they couldn't imagine doing otherwise. I'm nowhere near that. I don't know about you. But my goal is to spend time with my master every day in prayer and in his word, and that we move forward knowing that we are secure in Christ, not having to revisit whether I'm saved or whether God is going to keep me and I'm going to lose my salvation. As once it's ours... He'll never take it, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. And the goal is that we become mature in Christ, that we're like an immovable object in the wind. We build houses in places like Marco Island and Naples to withstand the forces of a hurricane. Is God is being allowed to build you as a house glorifying his name, immovable and strong, not to be shaken during a terrible storm. And then we know that a believer will respond to do whatever they can, whenever they can. My prayer is that we're growing in him and that we're spending time with our master. And then whenever God places before you, you respond. What an example Mary gives us. And my goal is to do the things that she did so that we can become more and more like him who art in heaven. Let's bow our heads and seek the Lord. Father, we come to you today so grateful of the gift of salvation, so grateful for what Jesus Christ has done. And there may be some out here that really don't even understand what salvation is today. And I pray that you touch their hearts. I pray, Lord, that they come to find out what it is to sit at the feet of the Master and to receive, them, receive Him and to be filled by Him. And I pray, Lord, that we, too, go on to maturity as we spend time in our relationship with You and that we, in turn, respond by glorifying Your name in everything we do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. daughter churches that we've started as a church and so we thank you for your study and for your time and for sharing the word with us this morning what a blessing if you do have questions about your salvation uh, as fred even mentioned of of knowing that you're saved 
And if you have questions uh, regarding that, I, I encourage you to grab him after the service or grab one of us. We have a prayer team that's going to be available immediately after the service right here in the front. If you have any prayer needs in your life that you would like immediate prayer for, um, people you'll be able to share that with and pray for you and for those items as well. We lifting up uh, whatever those things, petitioning uh, to the Lord what those needs are. Would you stand as we close the service? With your connect cards, or if you have anything that you would like to give to the church through our offering, those are done through the offering boxes in the back, and we would love just to know what's going on in your life and how we can pray for you. Would you pray with me as we close our service? God, we thank you for your word. God, we do pray that we may be obedient uh, disciples of Christ. God, we thank you for Fred and, and uh, for how you've led him through the scriptures and through his study to present to us this morning your word. And God, we do pray that we may be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, whether we are in times of persecution or whether we are in times now where we have a tremendous freedom. God, help us to be faithful. Um, God, we thank you for the ways you have gifted us. And, and I just pray that, as Fred mentioned, that we may be obedient, that if you've called us to do something, that we may be obedient to do it and do it now. God, we love you. We give you praise, and we thank Jesus Christ for what he's done, and it is all through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can even be in prayer with you right now. We pray for our church, and as people go out, uh, that you may be with them this week as, as they uh, just find ways and opportunities to glorify you, and as they go about the work you've set before them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.